Thanks for tuning in to our Monday Night Godcast, an immersive and interactive discussion of the Bible. If you're listening to this right now, then I know for a fact that God has something for you. That's right, you. I'm glad you're here. Let's dive into God's Word and see what He has in store for us today. started um, a series kind of going off of the WWJD, What Would Jesus Do, uh, movement. Um, this series being WDJD, What Did Jesus Do? And hey, I did get some retro um, WWJD bracelets. If anybody wants one, if you, want it, you can take and pass. Um, but yeah, so the whole, the whole WWJD movement was for, you know, helping you to remember as you, like, wear that little bracelet back in the day, like, you know, at any given moment, like, what would Jesus do, like, in any situation? Um, so, in order to know what he would do, we were looking at what did he do. So last week we talked about Jesus loving his enemies, that's primarily what we were talking about last week. This week we're kind of going along with that. We're kind of we're continuing on that, the last little bit of it, and then uh, just looking also at how just Jesus loved and how he served. Does anybody remember what we were talking about last week? What uh, scripture we were in? Kind of branched off in a couple different directions last week. I think for the most part we were in Luke 27. Yeah. Oh, yes. So, look there again real quick. Luke 27, see what we were talking about. Sorry, Luke 6, because Luke 27 isn't a thing. Luke 6, 27. Oh yeah, it was called Love Your Enemies. And so he was talking about, you know, if someone slapped on the cheek, offer the other cheek. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Um, do unto others what you would want them to do to you. And, yeah, um, lending to them without expecting to be repaid. All these, all these ways to go about loving your enemies. And just the whole concept of loving your enemy. Um, this week, we can turn to John 13. Oh, that was mine too. Hmm? Um, turn the page right to the new one. That was fun. Alright, we're going to read verses 1 through 17. Uh... Anybody want to just start reading? You either read the whole thing, read half, and pass it. John chapter 13, 1 through 17. <clears throat> sure. Go for it. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. 
Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to, to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. So Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be <clears throat> entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would, be, who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Cool. Any observations or comments or thoughts before, before we go in a little bit more? Um, verse 7, when it said, Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. It just reminds me of, like, even though we, we have this and we understand, like, we have some sort of understanding of, like, what Jesus had done and what, but, like, when you think about, like, real life circumstances, like, we truly don't understand why things are happening the way they are when we won't ever know until we meet him. And so, like, it just put it, it puts it into a perspective that, like, it's okay to not know, but one day we will once we all, once we get to heaven. But in the time, like, in this meantime, we just need to trust that he knows what he's doing kind of thing. That's cool. That's a good observation. I think looking at, like, a higher level picture of what Jesus is referring to here when he says Jesus replied unless I wash you you won't belong to me to me the idea of like washing the disciples feet is pointing towards his ultimate like expression of sacrificial love for the disciples and then to the extent all of us by dying on the cross like that is this picture that he's pointing towards and so the idea of unless I wash you you won't belong to me is the idea of like unless you've accepted my blood that has washed you clean of your sins you don't you don't have any reason to know me you don't have any reason to be in relationship with me if that's you know if you haven't accepted the gift that I'm offering to you which is my blood applied to your life um and then Simon Peter's response was like, well, just then wash all of me. It was just always kind of funny. Yeah. <clears throat> we just read John 13, 1 through 17. Yeah, 
that's good. Any other observations? Alright, so why do you think I chose, or, or what does this passage have to do with anything? What does this have to go with loving, Jesus loving his enemies? What does this have to do with anything? Even Judas's feet were washed. Bingo. He washed Judas's feet too. He washed all his disciples' feet, including the one who he knew was about to betray him. The one that he had called to follow him, had been with him for all this time, and now is selling him for a few pieces of silver. He washed his feet as well. Which, I mean, just, just, the, just the act of washing someone's feet is, is humbling. And... Uh, an extreme act of servanthood. And in, you know, according to Jewish laws and traditions regarding the relationship between the teacher and his disciples, a teacher had no right to demand or expect that the disciples would even wash the teacher's feet. And it was absolutely unheard of that the master would wash his disciples' feet. Yet Jesus is flipping the whole script on all of this, saying, like, like it's not even appropriate for me to ask you guys to wash my feet, let alone for me to wash your feet, but I'm going to wash your feet because he, he's shown the most extreme act of servanthood. And he doesn't, he doesn't just say, hey, do this. He shows it. He lives it out. With this, with this whole, what we just read right here, this whole thing is, is a parable played out. Jesus knew that his actions would speak louder than words, so he also wanted to teach them, you know, true humility and, and what it'll look like. So here's, here's a bit of an illustration of what just happened and what's to happen. Jesus rose from supper, a place of rest and comfort, you know, what we just read here in John 13. And Jesus also rose from the throne in heaven, a place of rest and comfort. He laid aside his garments, take off his covering, John 13. And Jesus also laid aside his glory, taking off his heavenly covering. Jesus took a towel and girded himself, putting it around his waist, being ready to work. And in the same way, Jesus also took the form of a servant and came ready to work here. Jesus poured water into a basin, ready to clean. And Jesus also poured out his blood to cleanse us from the guilt and penalty of sin. And then we see in verse 12, after washing his feet, he put on his robe again and sat down. So Jesus sat down again after washing their feet, just as Jesus will sit down again at the right hand of God after cleansing, cleansing us. So it's kind of like a cool parallel, a cool illustration of he's doing this act, showing this act of servanthood. But it's also kind of like a whole... A little bit of a foreshadow also of what's to come. Like what he's already done, what he's currently doing, and what's to come. He completely gave himself to washing their feet. He got up from supper, 
laying aside his garments and and wash their feet. If he wanted to just display or talk about the image of a servant, he could have had a servant there or one of the disciples do all this prep work of getting the water in the basin, of getting the towel, doing all this. But instead he he did it himself. He could have also just taken you know, a damp cloth and just quickly wiped a few feet here and there and show them, see you guys, like, you know, boom, consider the job done, I washed your feet. But instead, he, he gave the full image of servanthood and a loving leader by getting himself completely into it, washing everyone's feet one by one. And among them all, Judas included in that. And, and this all came after they were after they were all arguing about who is the greatest among themselves when none of them offered to wash anyone else's feet upon entering they all just sat around the, the low table with dirty feet and then Jesus took it upon himself to to serve and to wash all their feet What do you guys think about what Jesus is saying here in verse 8? Unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. I think, Jack, I think you started hitting on that. And Peter, you know, Peter gets excited and he says, Then wash my head and my, and my hands and my head, not just my feet. And then he says back, A person who is bathed all over does not need to be washed except at the feet, to be entirely clean. And your disciples are clean, but not all of you. What's going on in that part there? I think he's eventually referring to the crucifixion. Because he has to wash us of our sins. Yeah. Yeah. Unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. He's talking about unless, you know, I think you're already saying it, but like, unless my blood covers you, unless you allow what I do to wash you clean, you've got nothing to do with me. And then maybe Simon, maybe he's being, maybe he's just not quite getting it, which makes sense because he just, right prior to that, Jesus just said, you don't understand right now what I'm doing, or someday you will. It kind of makes sense. And then he's like, oh, well, cool, I'll take even more of that. Then don't just wash me. Wash all of me. And Jesus is like, that's not what I'm talking about. bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean makes me think of like once we've <clears throat> once you've been saved like once you've accepted the sacrifice that Jesus did for you you know whether and if, like 
baptism is a part of that journey in terms of like publicly displaying your faith, right? Then we don't get baptized again and again and again every time you mm. sin or every time you stray away. That's not the point, right? The heart of baptism is that <coughs> declaration of your faith and saying to people also hold me accountable to now this new walk that I want to live out. But every time after that, should you sin, there's that coming to the feet of Jesus again, laying it down, asking for forgiveness and repentance. That, to me, is the washing of the feet, right? When your feet take you somewhere wrong, right? Then you come before Jesus and it's like, Lord, I know. You know, I know what I did. Forgive me. And it's that act of sanctification that is the cleaning of the feet. But you're not getting saved all over again. You're not bathing and going under the water all over again because there is no need for that. The need there is then that sanctification process of allowing Christ to continually transform you and make and keep you clean, not just make you clean. You're made clean by what he did, but to keep and maintain your cleanliness is allowing him to work in those areas of your life that you're still struggling with that we all at one point or another might find ourselves still struggling. Um, and then, not all of you, obviously, I like the way that John explains it, goes on to say, like, okay, that one person, that was that was the betrayer, right? Mm -hmm. That was Judas. He had not been made clean in the sense that he rejected Jesus in favor of the money, right, in this moment. Um that's just my take. Yeah, that's good. I think it also implies some preparation. You're kind of hinting at that, mm -hmm. Jackie. But there's some preparation, you know, because you go bathe yourself, go prepare yourself, go yeah. go get baptized, go change your life, go whatever, and then Jesus helps us what's left. Mm -hmm. Right? So. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, the, like we were saying that um, like washing you clean and like similar to you know Jesus' blood washing us clean and salvation and all that. Um, and a little commentary here in my filmmit app saying that um, receiving Jesus' uh, spiritual cleansing is a condition for discipleship. So if Peter could not accept this act, he could not be Jesus' disciple at all. Mm -hmm. uh, which I thought that was interesting because like not only Jesus is, you know, like Joseph was saying, giving that example of like uh, the sacrificial thing that he's going to do later of dying on the cross and saving us and all that, but also like him showing um, or come in a way coming to our level of like humbling himself and being a servant, also showing that example of like what we should do with other people as we you know live our um christian lives here on earth of serving others and um being like like jesus and i think i said something uh this um last uh week that like without him we can't really do or things here on earth or like with our own strength or love people like jesus does you know, without him, so 
if we follow his lead, then we can also wash other people's feet, even if they are our enemies or whatever we may feel about other people. Um, but, um, yeah, like just being his disciple and following <coughs> his lead to show others love and showing that they could also be cleansed and mm -hmm. tell them about like, hey, Jesus did this for you on the cross. He washed you clean with his, um, you know, blood. But here's just an act of service to you to show you that you could also be clean. And I am humbling myself to wash your feet, which is, man, nobody wants to smell those stinky feet. But yeah, so this discipleship part, I thought that was interesting. Cool. Yeah, that actually kind of brings me to my next question of how do you go about doing this practically ourselves? What, what does this look like in 2023? How do we love our enemies? How do we, you know, are we supposed to be going around washing people's feet that we don't like? Or like, how does, what does this look like? Um, this week, I didn't wash anybody's feet, but, um, <laughs> Uh, and I told this to them, um, there was a patient that came in and he um, was like um, coughing a lot and just like not feeling it that day. And he was even like um, holding on to his wife's arm because he had just gone through radiation that day um, and he has throat cancer. So um, he was just feeling super weak and um, he laid down and I started doing the echo and everything. And like I was wearing a mask because I was already not feeling good myself. Um, so and then him coughing and just like him having radiation in him too. I'm just like, you know what? I know God can like, you know, protect me, but I also just want to have this in case I cough or sneeze. Mm -hmm. I don't want my germs to spread on him either. But um, it was very interesting how things changed once like he at, he started to cough so much that I told him like you can nod or do like this but I asked him do you want to sit up for a little bit he's like yes so then he sat up and it was a little gross him spinning on the napkin or whatever but um but then in the meantime while he was gathering himself I took my phone and I started playing worship music and I'm like praying in my head Lord I need you to come in here and like this is really gross and I don't want to catch anything and I don't want him to catch anything but it's what it is um and then he finally gathered himself he's like whispering because the you know cancer is right there so he can only like speak so loud mm -hmm. um so he's like I'm okay to keep going and then he laid back down and for the remainder of like 15 20 more minutes he didn't cough anymore and it was just so cool to like see the Holy Spirit just like once you invite him there to just like calm everything down and he even looked more peaceful as he like laid down again um, and then at the end I was like hey I don't want to step any boundaries or anything but um, do you is it okay if I pray for you and they're like yeah that's fine so I prayed for them I got a little like teary-eyed as I prayed about trying to hold back <laughs> um but it was really cool and it wasn't until like he got out of my room that like he coughed a little bit again and then he uh went and I'm just like that's amazing um but 
in this aspect of like you know it's not that he was my enemy or anything but it is gross and just to mm -hmm. witness all of that but being like no it's okay i'm still gonna be like you know not even a foot away from his face still scanning him and just allowing god to do his thing and hope that this guy gets healed um but yeah i think that it, it was like a very humbling experience of just being grateful for being able to talk being able to do the normal thing not have to go to <coughs> doctor's appointments like every day um but yeah like and sometimes we don't i don't want to do that but it was just like all right we're gonna do this because if i don't then i can't see anything in his heart and then he won't get the treatment he needs mm -hmm. nice that's awesome and i think it's hard sometimes like we think about like who are our enemies and we might not really have an answer for that but he doesn't you know jesus doesn't just call us to love our enemies he calls us to love others love our neighbors love everyone right and i think that's that's a great example right like it's not that we have to look for an enemy and be like hey let me try to love you but we can just do this with anyone we come across like any random joe schmo coming across you know patients customers, people we work with, clients, co-workers, like anyone, we don't need to only just look for enemies, but we can look for anyone that we can show love to. And that's a really practical way. Praying. You know, that's probably the best thing we could do is to pray with someone. That's the, the great first step, a second step, a third step, a fourth step, the last step, every step is to pray with them. And to even show that and ask them and to go a step further and be like, hey, can I pray with you or can I pray for you? As opposed to, you know, you can just pray in your own head or pray with, for them later, but that's great to pray with them. And show them that you love them. And that's, that's what we're called to do, to show love. They'll, people will know Christians by the way that they love. Another practical way is, is just that, showing them unconditional love. Showing them love, going out of your way to, to help someone when you're not expecting anything in return, when you're not expecting any praise, there's no one else around to even see it, to give you a pat on the back, to high-five you, to say, hey, that was really cool, to do it just because that's what Jesus would do. Right? That's, that's the whole point of this. What would Jesus do? What did Jesus do? And Jesus went around and he healed people. And he's constantly telling people at times, don't tell anyone about this. Because he's not looking for praise. And other times it wasn't the right time for, for his word to get out about that yet. But he was, not, he was never doing it for show. He was never doing it for praise. I think, too, in, reg in strictly in regards to like loving your enemies or loving people that are hard to love or that are irritable, I think, I think about like having a mindset that says, Okay, how can I intentionally show love to this person who irritates me? Like, what uh, is there something in their day that I have the power to make easier? Like, in a work context, for example, if there's a coworker or a colleague that you work with that is just constantly either negative or they're, you know, they've gossiped about you in the past, just throwing out like any kind of examples. 
making it like a part of your day going into work to say, you know what, like, Lord, show me how I can love this person. And if there's an opportunity that opens up, like make me aware of the ways that I can love them. And like you said, not expect anything, but just to love them and to get in that mindset of like, I can't stand you. Right. Mm -hmm. On a regular basis, I can't. But there are things that I know I can do that might make your day easier. Right. What are those things? Is it... Um, bringing them a cup of coffee? Is it helping them print out papers? Is it preparing for a meeting? Is it whatever it is? Can I take, even going to them and saying, hey, can I take something off your plate unexpectedly, right? Mm -hmm. Things like that that is like, would cause them to question you as to, well, why do you want to help me? Mm -hmm. Like, and you don't, you can just leave it at like, you know, because I saw that you were struggling or because I think, because I thought this would be something something that could help you. You know, you don't even have to mention Jesus in that moment, but you are being Jesus to them, you know, and then it opens up. Because I think you need to build relationship in a lot of times, in a lot of places before people are ready and willing to be like, all right, what's the deal here? You know, tell me about this Jesus person, you know. And so it's, it's looking, making yourself aware of opportunities, asking for them through prayer, you know, God, what can I do today to make someone's life easier even if I don't like them? I think that's an, that is a avenue of expressing love in a way that people don't expect it and aren't expecting it because the world is hard and everybody is living kind of a hard life at times and you don't ever know really what's going on behind the curtain of somebody's life without inviting yourself into it. Um, not in an overbearing way, but like, I'm here. You know, allowing people to see that you're available. Mm -hmm. That's good. And I think it's important to also know that we're not able to love our enemies or to love the unlovable, to love the people that are hard to love, the difficult people. We can't love any of them without the help of God. We can't even love people that we like without the love of God, right? To, to have true love for them. Hating an enemy. Hating an enemy is what comes naturally. But we need supernatural help in order to love them. If we try to love our enemies, or the unlovables, the difficult people, the annoying people, if we try to love them apart from the help of God, it's either not going to work, or it won't be true love, or you'll be faking it, and God doesn't call us to pretend to love others. He doesn't say, make people think that you love them when you don't really. He's like, love them. And that we need God's help with. Which again, all comes back to prayer. Can't do that. You can't just fake it till you make it with that. You can't fake it. You can fake it till you make it with a lot of things. But loving people isn't one of them. Especially loving people that aren't fun to love. You can't do that. You can't fake it. Reminds me of a song called The Jesus Way by Phil Yeah, part of, part of what you can do to do that through prayer is, you know, and also practical ways, showing genuine respect. Hey, can I take off something off your plate? Hey, how's your day today? Ask them, what'd you do this weekend? Take a genuine interest. You don't have to 
go out to lunch with them and become their best friends, but put yourself in their shoes. <coughs> hey, what's going on? Show some sympathy, some empathy. Find common ground, find something. I mean, just, just building that rapport, building a little bit of a, of a relationship there. Forgive them if you need to forgive them. If there's something that was done, ask for forgiveness in your heart. Ask them for forgiveness. And reaching out to them first. Don't expect them to come to you and trying to help resolve or, or expect them to come to you being like, hey, is there, do you want to show me some type of love? Like, that's just not going to happen. I feel like it's especially like if they're... Like, this is, like, their normal routine. Like, this is just how they are. Especially if they don't know Jesus, then they don't know how to love like Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so, like, some of them won't come and say they're sorry because they don't know that they've done something wrong. Yeah. And it's just the way that they've grown up and, like, whether it's how their parents um, acted around each other and acted towards them. And it's just something that is more habitual for them. Mm -hmm. um, So they don't know anything else. And so, like, they're not going to come to you first and express their how sorry they are because they don't know that they've done anything wrong yeah yeah that's, that's good you know people who aren't living with with jesus in their hearts they're not necessarily looking for peace or reconciliation they're fine with things getting worse but they're being that hostility that not fun environment but for us we're called to be different we're not called to act like everyone else and i think just piggybacking off of what kayla said the the humbling <laughs> that we have to do in order to do that shouldn't be something we just slide by. Like like we said, it's hard to do that, but to do what we're talking about requires a humble heart and being, you know, having humility when approaching other people and not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less in those instances where it's like it would be really easy for me to put myself first right here and I think I should and I think I deserve it, I think I deserve to be first here, but then to counteract that initial attitude with, well, what does what does God want from me here? What what is going to be the Jesus way? The Jesus way is going to flip that and say, you know what? Even though all of my feelings tell me I deserve this, that, and the other, I'm going to put this person first, and I'm going to see the way that God shows up right here because I've decided to honor him and give him that glory by putting other people first. I think this um, passage may have come up last week. I feel like Zach or someone brought it up. A passage from uh, Matthew 5, 43, teaching about love for enemies. You can turn there if you want. Otherwise, I'll just read it. Uh, Matthew 5, 43. I think Zach did. Yeah, I think he did. You've heard of the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of the Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in Heaven is perfect. And it just it just goes to show, it, it does nothing, it means nothing if you're only loving those who love you back. It's There's no reward for that. Anyone can do that. That's a very common thing to do. If someone is nice to you, 
it's easy to be nice back to them. But if someone punches you and is trying to kill you, usually you try to reciprocate what's, what's being done to you. But we're called to be like Jesus. For those who are betraying him, for those who are spitting on his face, for those who are nailing him on the cross, instead of trying to do those things back, he asks for forgiveness on their behalf. He shows them love. And he died for them too. Standards are set so high by Jesus. Mm -hmm. And then you just read that and you're like, jeez, I'm never going to reach that. <laughs> and that's the point. I know. That we can't. We won't ever attain it. Not, on our, not in our own ability. The whole point is that we need to be 100% relying on God throughout this. There's something like Jack and I talked before, and I talked about it with our small group at um, our young adult small group at um, Grace Point. Like, we were going through a series on the heart of God and like the characteristics of Him. And the first one um, was like His holiness. And like, the point is to not meet Him up here or to like be equal with him it's to become less and less of ourselves and um in order so that god can become greater and like kind of like what she was saying not to the thing think of ourselves less but think wait think less of ourselves don't think less of ourselves but to think of ourselves less hmm. wow yeah um and like so the goal is to like just become less and less of ourselves and then so the ultimate goal can be like less human and more like god um, but we're never going to reach perfect level with God because of His holiness. And it's not this idea, because I think people, especially people new to the faith, would read verse 48 and be like, I give up. There's just no way. Like, there's no way that I can do this. And I think... That's why in like doing our study on Matthew for CYA, in reading this, I think um, I think Andrew might have talked about this chapter, but when we got to this part, it wasn't that Jesus is saying, Jesus sets a standard, no doubt, and there is a standard, but it's not to say, it's with the understanding that we can't attain it. Mm -hmm. So it's with the allowance that grace is fresh every morning, right? We can't read that one verse in the context of this chapter and be like, all right, I give up. I can't live. I can't be a Christian because I can't be perfect like God is perfect. It's this idea that as we take the Bible and take his word in totality and allow him in and allow him access to continually transform and renew our minds, this idea of being perfect doesn't become this impossible, unattainable goal, but rather, God, continue to take me higher, continue to take me here, continue to chisel out the things, like she said, that, that need to come off. Like, I want you, and the more I have of you, it's not about being perfect, it's about being like Christ. It's about walking alongside him throughout life, regardless of what comes at us like that is the point of relationship and so I I would just can and I remind myself too when reading this like it would be easy for me to give up if that was all that this is to say I have to be perfect it would be easy for me to give up mm -hmm. but the reason that I don't is because I know that God loves me as much today who I am and all of the things that I still struggle with 
and he'll love me the same tomorrow, his love for me isn't based on my perfection level or what I'm good at versus what I'm not good at. His love for me doesn't change. He loved me when I was a sinner, and he loves me today, having been, you know, knowing him. It is about continuing to be able to know him and wanting <coughs> to know him and being willing to be in relationship with him. Like, perfection is a tall order and it, Jesus says it specifically like we've said here knowing that it's unattainable but still saying it because the point is him and the point is relationship with him and knowing him and living our lives in knowledge of him growing in that way not just staying stagnant in what we think okay I know all of God we don't you know it's it's this reaching for more with him, a hunger to grow with him, in relationship with him, be changed by him, moved by him, pursue him, love him more. That is the standard. That is what marks a Christian faith. All of those things together, trusting, relying, believing in him. You know, it's it's really not about perfection. It's about him. Yeah. Awesome. There's this, this is one other passage I thought was really interesting about, about our enemies. It's in the Old Testament. It's in Proverbs 24, verse 17 and 18. It says, Don't rejoice when your enemies fall. Don't be happy when they stumble. The Lord will be displeased with you and will turn his anger away from them. And I think it's an interesting contrast because we're called to love our enemies. We're supposed to pray for those who are persecuting us. And we're not even called to, to rejoice when our enemies are, when they fall. Now there's, it, it's an interesting, it's an interesting mix because there's victory when the enemy is defeated. You know, when you're, when you're in, you know, the, the Jews are in captivity and slavery and other battles, right? There's victory when the Lord pulls them through a battle or they're freed from slavery. But we're not even called to rejoice when the enemy falls. At the end of the day, if the enemy doesn't know God and they die, they go to hell. If they don't know Jesus, if they, if they weren't, you know, worshiping God, and that's nothing to rejoice over. I think that's I think that's what this is going at. To not be happy when they stumble. It's the Lord is with you during your victories. And he may even be the one to defeat the enemy for you. But I think it just goes to show and these are these are two different contexts, but I just want to get a little bit of that comparison in there. When you talked about the rain <clears throat> falling on the just and the unjust, is the similar kind of idea of like there are many places in Psalms where it talks about the wicked are prospering. Mm -hmm. Why do they prosper? Why do things? Why do good things happen to bad people? You know, the age-old question. And why do bad things happen to good people? That whole idea. And I really think it is, like, at the heart of it, more or less stay in your lane. Like, why are you, why are you concerned with the way that other people, you know, we, at the end of the day, rain falls on everybody right the lord is available to all and so in you rejoicing over your enemies 
that's that's not indicative of a heart that is like God's either because his will is that not one person should perish mm-hmm. you know so at the end of the day like we shouldn't there should be no enemies we don't have enemies in this world we have people who are lost that are yet to be saved mm-hmm. and it's like if we can if we can get our minds on that page and allow our hearts to follow I think we'd see a lot more people feel loved and come to the feet of Jesus if, if we as believers can even mm-hmm. live that way I think with this uh, it, you know it got me thinking a little bit you know with like current events right like mm-hmm. Hamas and Israel it's like mm-hmm. if we see I mean just just what Hamas is doing let alone who they're doing it to just anyone who is having that type of destruction and murder and just uncivilized and un- unhuman things to anybody. It's great to see them being stopped. This isn't saying don't rejoice when the enemy is defeated because the Lord has defeated, he sent angel armies to defeat the enemy before. It's not saying like, oh, if Hamas is defeated tomorrow, like, don't rejoice. Like, no, that's great. They're being stopped from these evil things. Like, that's, that's great. We should rejoice over that. But to be like, destroy every one of them, like, that shouldn't be our heart to be like, just kill, kill, kill. Like, let's wipe them off the face of the earth. But we want the sin of what they're doing to stop. How much greater of a victory would it be if Hamas was stopped, but then they were then had they all had their come to Jesus moment and they all repented of what they did and they helped to rebuild Israel and they were giving life instead of taking away. Like, how much more of a victory would that be? Like, people, you know, I'm sure everyone would love to see Hamas just completely wiped off the face of the earth. Believers, too. Absolutely. And how much greater would it be if they had. A 180 turn and you know we've seen so many people in the Bible who like uh, Paul who wrote like half of this book you know like he was the one destroying all the Christians and I'm sure all the all the believers are probably just hoping that he'd die and just be done with but God had a plan and a purpose for him and it was quite a big one but anyway um, I think we'll probably stop there today. But any other final thoughts of what we read today, what we discussed, practical um, playouts? Just along the line of what you just shared, I saw a video and it was very powerful to me. Of a, essentially, it was a um, former ISIS like insurgent who had an encounter with Jesus. Mm. And as he's recounting it, he's in tears. Essentially, it's like, how could... And, you know, Islamic and all of that stuff, growing up in that faith, but he met Jesus. And it's like, if we can bring people... I'm starting to read in um, 1 Corinthians, but essentially it's talking about, like, God is the one responsible for watering the seed. You have the harvester, you have workers, you have planters, but God waters the seed. If we can bring people to the point of even receiving the seed, you know, and he does that through us and in us, but we serve a mighty and powerful God who is the same as the one who saved in the Old Testament, right? He is mighty to save. That is who he is. 
and we shouldn't shortchange who he is in efforts to speak with other people because they need it, you know. And it's this idea that, like, man, if me as a believer in him can get to a point every single day where I'm like, Lord, I just want you to save. I just want to meet. I just want people to meet you and have my day look like that is an opportunity for people to meet him. How many seeds are planted that he's going to water? Like, I think that is the biggest thing that we can take away from the last two weeks that you've talked about of like loving well plants seeds and who is the one who waters the seeds? Mm -hmm. God. And allowing him to do his work. Like, he'll do it but he's looking for people to be available to use who better than us hmm. I like that loving well plant seeds cool alright well I'll pray and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up yeah I thank you for your demonstration of what true love looks like how to love those that are close to us and maybe how to love our enemies and love the unlovables. I ask that you help us all to have open hearts and open eyes for opportunities this week and just at the starting point. Uh, but help us to be able to see opportunities mm -hmm. and to take them to, to pray and to join you, to join with you along in each of these places, where, whether it be co-workers, family, friends, um, random people that we come across throughout our days. God help us to be able to Show them genuine love that can only be shown from you. Help us to be able to reciprocate that love that you've so unconditionally and freely given us. God, we pray for Israel. And we pray for protection over them that, that you would continue to provide them strength and peace in, in this time of, of war. And in this time where there's seemingly no peace, that your peace would... Um, that your peace would sustain and would, would breach through all the, the hopelessness that seems that there is right now. God, we pray for Hamas, not for their destruction and for, I don't know, not for their destruction, but Lord, of course, we pray for, for an end to, to the terrible things that they're doing. God, would you help, help them to, to, to know you? ultimately Lord that's that would be the most miraculous thing that we could see right now you've done it before you can do it again we've seen you do it with with Saul and the way that you've turned him around from persecuting Christians to to building them up Lord there's no reason you can't do it again you are the same God then and you're the same God now God you have done it before and we believe that you'll do it again Lord would you use Hamas to not destroy your people but to bring them up I don't know how, I don't know what that looks like. I, I, I couldn't even play it out if I was in charge, but Lord, you have a plan for everything. So I ask that your will be done and that you would continue to protect your people in Israel. Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening. It's always a good time when God's presence is with us. I hope you enjoyed it and that you tune in again for the next episode of the Monday Night Godcast.